Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And what a joy it is to be able to welcome all of you this morning to worship, whether you're here in person or on the live stream. We are absolutely thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us, that we have this privilege, this opportunity to worship together. Uh, if I could just share several different reminders, announcements, different things. If you're a visitor here with us this morning, we offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We are thrilled that you are here with us. We hope that you got the goodie bag that gives us, you a little bit of information about us, some fun kind of swag materials type stuff you can enjoy, and hopefully get to know us. If you're on the end of the aisle, we would ask you to get the friendship pad started, and this is for not only visitors, but members and regular attenders alike. Let us know that uh, you are here. This morning, we come to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and so hopefully your hearts are prepared and even preparing as we uh, go through worship this morning and exalt the Lord and prepare for this wondrous time where he feeds us through uh, the tangible gifts of bread and wine, bread and grape juice. He feeds us with himself by faith. A uh, reminder that officer nominations are being taken through June the 26th, and so uh, if you're a member of the church, one of the privileges that you have or responsibilities that you have is that of choosing who it will or who you want to nominate to be elder or deacon over you. So out in the narthex, you will find forms, and you can see either Jim Hildebrand or myself if you have questions regarding that. Also on Monday, June 27th, we'll be having CPR training for LOPC members and attendees. If uh, there are still a few spots open, call the office or see, I guess, Dick, can I point them in your direction as well, signing up or whatever, they can, they can sign up. We do have a few spots open for that. And a reminder that we have two more weeks of Sunday school, then we'll have a little bit of a, I'll call it a summer sabbatical, where we'll for the months of July and August, we won't be having Sunday school, and then we'll be raring to go and picking up again the first Sunday of September. Sunday, June 26th as well, immediately following the worship service, will be our patriotic picnic down in the pavilion. So this is the Sunday you get to wear shorts and t-shirts and funs. Well, that's, that's something to look forward to as well, isn't it? You know, get to really dress See, you get to dress casual and be reverent and joyful in your heart on that particular Sunday, because then we'll be going out having hamburgers and hot dogs and a cornhole. Who is the leader in the clubhouse? Who's the favorite to win that cornhole tournament? But you can see Brent or Carol Johansson, if you have any questions regarding that. I think Brent still taking signups. Signups for that out in the narthex uh, immediately following the service today. So... I know I'm speaking fast. I'm trying to get through many, many announcements and many reminders of things. We're very excited about different things going on in the life of the church. And so now as the prelude is played for us, this is an opportunity for us to be still before the Lord, to know that he is amongst us, to know that he is here, and he is excited to receive. He's called us to worship. He's initiated this time. He is overjoyed to hear the praises of his children. Let's prepare our hearts for worship.
Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Isn't it amazing that as God calls us to worship, we have a taste of heaven. We have a taste of glory. God encourages us to bring our whole selves into worship. I don't know what kind of weeks you've had, whether you are filled with joy or sorrow, whether it's been a great week or it's been a hard week. God encourages us to bring our whole selves before him into his presence. Fears, doubts, anxieties, joys, sorrows, all of ourselves before all of God. Psalm 145 verses 1 to 3 is our call to worship this morning. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Father, we bow down before you. We shout for joy. We come with joy. We come with reverence into your presence because you have called us. You have taken the initiative to desire us to be in your presence where you join with us to extol you, our God and King, to bless your name forever and ever, to praise your name for all eternity, to declare your greatness. We, incur- we invite you and ask that you would be present amongst us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we invoke your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, let us stand and praise the greatness of the Lord singing together, O oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Our need of confession this morning comes from Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. The Apostle Paul says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. 
Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So here the apostle is sharing with the church at Rome, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone needs Christ. Everyone needs grace and the gospel. And see, here's the thing. Even after we come to Christ, and as I will proclaim in a few moments, the assurance of pardon that tells us there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So that's who we are. Guess what? Our flesh is still with us. Our flesh, every illustration has flaws, so I'm sure you could pick this one apart, but our flesh is kind of like a shadow. You can't escape your shadow. It's always with you. And so what Paul is doing here is he is describing, the. these are the characteristics of the flesh. So this is the characteristics of you. Even though you are in Christ and you've been a Christian, guess what? Your natural self does not seek the glory of God. Everything we do is, has mixed motives. I'm up here and I want to lead us in glorious, pure worship. But guess what? My flesh is concerned with achievement and success and how we're doing, and so is yours. How it manifests yourself in your life might be different than how it manifests itself in my life, which is why we give this invitation to take a few moments and engage with God personally. In what areas are you still impacted and influenced by your flesh? That is described as not seeking the glory of God, turning aside from God, not having the fear of God before your very eyes. Take a few moments and engage with God. And then you'll hear me say something like, let us pray together. And that'll be your cue that we will pray the corporate confession of sin together in unison. Friends, let us pray. Friends, let us pray together in unison. Almighty God, we confess how hard it is to be your people. You have called us to be the church, to continue the mission of Jesus Christ to our lonely and confused world. Yet, we acknowledge we are more apathetic than active, isolated than involved, callous than compassionate, obstinate than obedient, legalistic than loving. Gracious Lord, have mercy upon us 
and forgive our sins. Remove the obstacles preventing us from being your representatives to a broken world. Awaken our hearts to the promised gift of your indwelling spirit. This we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. And friends, now receive the assurance of pardon. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we read, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And friends, the more that we see our sin, the more that we see our flesh, the more that that causes us to just explode inside. That everything we just confessed, God declares us non-touchable. He declares us non-condemnable. That if you are in Christ Jesus, he sees you according to the record of Jesus Christ. I implore you, be reconciled to God and receive that verdict from God. No condemnation. Let's stand as we sing and continue to praise the Lord, singing, We Will Feast in the House of Zion.
As we continue to worship, let us go before the Lord in a time of prayer, of communion with him, bringing our hearts before him. We will say the prayer together that Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our pastoral prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Your word tells us, Father, that if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven, heal their land, forgive their sins. Father, we come before you as your people called by your name. This is a prayer and an instruction for your church. This is a covenant charter that your people in covenant relationship, you invite us, if your people, this is not given as an invitation to the world, your people who are personally called by you will humble themselves. Father, we've just confessed our sins. We've just prayed in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. Sometimes I think the root of so many of our sins and debts is our arrogance, our pride, our lack of humility. Teach us what it means to humble ourselves. Help us to remember that we don't have the right answer for everything. That we have our interpretations, we have different things. Teach us to be humble and listen to people. Teach us to be humble in our interactions with one another and with the world. Help us to relate out of humility to others, forgetting ourselves, being unselfconscious, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, listening and seeking to understand, not just get our point across. And then you say, if we would pray. So, Lord, when I think of healing our land, and I think of forgiveness, and I think of humility, pray for what? That text seems to be implying pray for revival. Oh, how the church globally, all over the world, and in America needs revival. We need to go from death to life. Forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us, Lord, for our not caring about our neighbors. Help us to pray and pray for the salvation of others. Pray, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit, that we would rejoice in you again, that we would extol you and declare your greatness, and a people that would not be captive to anything else but Jesus Christ, that we would be bondservants of Jesus. And may we be a people who seek your face. In everything we do, may we live in your presence, seeking your face for how we relate, how we conduct our business, how we worship, how we educate and disciple one another, how we raise our kids, how we love our grandkids. May we seek your face and may we turn from our wicked ways. Help us to examine ourselves 
and turn from the wicked way. It's easy to confess the wicked ways of others. Help us to confess our wicked ways and own our wicked ways. And know that we can't save ourselves. Only you save us. So, Lord, as we prayed in the opening, in the call to worship, may we be a people extolling you, our God and our King. The church is not a democracy. The church is a kingship. And Jesus, you are our king and you are the head of the church. May we follow you wherever you lead us. Wherever you go, may we follow you. May we bless your name forever and ever. So we pray for Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church and we pray for the church here in the Lake Oconee area. We pray that you revive her and revive us for the glory of your name, that we would be a people declaring your praises, declaring your unsearchable greatness. We thank you and we bless your name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In him, we have redemption through his blood.
All right, you have to excuse me for a second. Maybe this is about to be very, very non-Presbyterian, okay? But go, Barb! Go, Amy! That was amazing. That would have been amazing even if I wasn't preaching from the very passage that they sung about. Part of me is like, okay, let's go to the Lord's table. He just fed us in song. That's his word. We're going to eat at the table. This is what it means to have a taste of glory. This is why when we have the Sundays where we do the Lord's table, I have us sing, not every week, time, but most times, we will feast in the house of Zion. See, here's the condition we live in. Our souls are hungry. We're hungry for heaven. We were meant to live in the Garden of Eden. We were meant to live with that kind of meaning and significance and acceptance and love and approval, and we don't have it because we're outside of Eden, and we long to get back to the Garden. So we're hungry, and what we get now is tastes in the inaugurated kingdom of God. It's already begun. It's just not yet complete. So Barb and Amy, you gave me a great piece of pie right there. You just gave me a great... Can you... Sorry, I relate everything to food. Have you noticed that? (laughs) This is like a great appetizer, and the banquet is yet to come. That's our hope. That's what we're looking forward to. That's, in a sense, what Romans 8, 31 to 39 is all about. Before I pray, before we read the text together, remember, we're not only this morning coming to the end of Romans 8, we're coming to the end of this bigger section of Romans, Romans 5 to 8. Which means, remember when I started Romans last year, I said we're taking this as four different series. Romans 1 to 4, Romans 5 to 8, we'll take a few months off and do something different. Aha, you don't know what yet. And then we'll do Romans 9 to 11, and eventually we'll get to Romans 12 to 16. And Romans 5 to 8 is all about expositing the gospel in the terms of a new exodus. And so Jesus is the greater Adam who brings salvation. Chapter 6 unites us to himself. We are led out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We're liberated. We are free to walk in newness of life. But then Romans chapter 7, you have the whole issue of when they come before Mount Sinai, what's the next step of the Exodus? They receive the law. And the law, wonderful and beautiful though it is, a beautiful expression of the agenda and the heart of God cannot save us. Not because of any fault of the law. Guess whose fault it is? You got it, ours. Romans chapter 3, going back to that human condition. And so we have the issue, who will lead us to the promised land? If we can't be led by the law, how do we move from the wilderness? What and who will lead us in the wilderness? Well, remember the Exodus, they were led by what? The glory cloud and the glory fire. Romans chapter 8, what is the fulfillment of that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us through the wilderness to experience God, to tell us you can't lose God and God can't lose you, and ultimate salvation, your inheritance, the promised land is guaranteed because of him, not because of us. And that's where we get at the end of Romans 8. These verses we're looking at today is the inheritance, is the promised land. This is ultimate salvation, ultimate assurance, and ultimate security. And it's begun now, 
and we will have it in full at the consummation of the kingdom. Now, I haven't even given you really the introduction. That's kind of the introduction to the introduction to this. Can you tell? Sorry, I get excited about this kind of stuff. I'm not mad. I'm not angry, anything like that. You know, Amy and Barb just sang, he loved me. You want to know my thought as I listen to that? I go, that's incredible that God could love someone like Jeff Birch. I mean, for me, that's just really challenging to drink in. Because I can tell you all the things that are unlovable about myself. I can tell you what a diff poor Evie, she'd married a really difficult man. And so I can tell you all those things about myself. And then I listen to, he loved me. And that just makes me just kind of melt. I just kind of go, that's incredible. And that's, I think, one of the things worship is meant to do with us, to melt our frozen hearts, to warm our cold hearts, to ignite our apathetic hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray that the Spirit of God will do that in us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that salvation is of you. It is not of us. From beginning to end, it is to your glory. It is done by you, accomplished by you. We receive it as a gift. Part of me wants to pray, Jeff, when will you get that through your thick skull? When will I fully understand that? And that's why I have to come back and preach this every week. I know what a challenge it is for my own heart. My own heart can be like Teflon where this just slides off and I need this to be impressed upon me. Holy Spirit, do this work. Show us the beauty of Christ, the majesty of Christ, the glory of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you have Bibles, turn with me to Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves you. Well, here we are at the summit. Take your pack off, have a drink of water, enjoy the breathtaking, majestic view. This is the promise of the inheritance that we're given in Christ Jesus. And friends, we need to come back to it often. I read a quote online this week from PCA pastor and founder of Key Life Network, Steve Brown. 
And I love Steve Brown because he is so real and so honest all the time. Listen to what Steve Brown says. He says, the world is hard. Be honest when it hurts and where you fail. Quit pretending to be something you aren't. Wouldn't the church be an attractive place if we quit pretending to be something we're not? And Romans chapter 8 and these verses enable us to do that. See, we've been talking about how Romans 8 is all about security, how we can know that we won't lose God and he will not lose us. It is one of the most profound chapters in the Bible on how to experience God through the Holy Spirit. It is, as I've been calling it, the Mount Everest of the Bible. So what do we learn in this passage, and what do we learn specifically about ultimate assurance and ultimate security? Three things. We learn why we need security, we learn what is security, and we learn how we can experience security. In other words, how can we be secure? So why, what, and how? First of all, why we need security. Have you ever noticed in history the fascination we have with the future? Okay, I'm going to take you back a little bit. Remember Y2K? Anybody remember all the hoopla with Y2K? Anybody? You may not want to confess this. This is why we do private and personal confession. Anybody have their, you know, their cellar, their closet, their whatever, and have canned goods and stuff like that? that could, you know, I'm safe if civilization comes to an end, I'm safe for the next 42 years. I have got green beans that will last me forever. You know, there are many instances, think about that, we thought the world was coming to an end and stuff. Why do we have this fascination with the future? It's actually not a bad thing. It has to do with who we are. See, we are made in God's image. And as such, I'm taking you now to a basic doctrine of man. As such, we have the unique ability, this is part of our rationality, we can look into the future, not to know what is going to happen, that's God's and God's alone, but guess what? As we are in the image of God and the likeness of God, we can do things like think and plan and prepare. We also have the ability to look into the past, hopefully look into the past and learn from our past. Hopefully, look at your story and say, hmm, these are the things that impacted me in the past. Maybe they impact how I relate now. Not that we always do that. But see, the real reason we are so concerned with the future is that we want to know what is going to happen to us. And I don't mean just understand the facts. We don't want simply to know the objective facts. We are interested in knowing how secure we will be. Let's, as Steve Brown says, say, quit pretending. Here's what we want to know. Will we be okay? Will we be secure? Because we need security. It's built into us. And if you think about it, there are two wrong ways we can wrongly think about the future. One is we can be too cautious, too obsessed, too obsessive, leads to anxiety and fear, an inability to live, an inability to take risks. The other, though, is the complete other extreme. Careless, apathetic, laissez-faire, ah, whatever, God's in control, whoever, whatever happens, happens. 
not sure that's faithful and responsible either. Guess what? Tim Keller says there's a third way. There's always a third way. And the gospel leads us to a third way, a way that is completely different from the world's way of either being too cautious or too careless. See, this passage before us does not shrink at all from our need for security. See, if you think about it, the entire context, beginning in verse 17, Paul is preparing, he is equipping, he is speaking to the church about life in the wilderness and how we can be assured and secure that we will make it to the promised land. And he doesn't sugarcoat reality. He's equipping the Roman Christians and us for how to live in a fallen world. And in this passage, Paul never says that the basis of our security is a secure environment. Look with me at verses 35 to 37 and ask yourself, does this sound like a secure environment to you? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Sounds pretty insecure to me, doesn't it? He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, but know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, Paul is assuming here that we will face trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and the sword. We face death all day long. There is no misunderstanding that we live in a very dangerous world. We face dangers today. Culture does oppose us. But let me tell you something. Things are not getting worse. We have always had, and the church has always had, culture, the world, opposing her. The church always faced danger, sword, persecution, distress, nakedness, all of these things. This is what makes verse 37 so amazing when it says that we are more than conquerors. It actually says we are super conquerors because we are more than conquerors in this hostile insecure environment. But that is also why we need security. And we need to ask ourselves, where are we going to find the security we need? But before we look at that, let's look at the second thing. What is the security that's being promised? And security, we need to remember, is two-dimensional. We need to remember, let's go back to our doctrine of man. Humankind, human beings are body and soul, or body and spirit not simply one or the other. We're embodied creatures. If you think about the world, what is science always doing? Science is always trying to solve our physical problems, issues of disease. They're always trying to do that. Other religions, think about Eastern religions, for example. What are they doing? They're trying to solve spiritual problems. What the, we need to remember, we're more than physical, we're spiritual, but we're not only spiritual, we're spiritual and physical. So when we look at verse 37 and ask the question, how are we more than conquerors? Notice what it says, through him who loved us. 
It is through Jesus' love that we are more than conquerors. And love is more than merely physical. It's not less than. It's not only spiritual and it's not only physical. It is both. It is holistic. Love involves acceptance, approval, safety, security, a sense of belonging. It is why one of the things we value here at LOPC, one of the things we aspire to, is a sense of friendships and community, a sense of belonging together. It is a value here. It is something we want to give a taste of approval and security and significance and meaning. I listened a long, long time ago to an interview with actor Robin Williams after he made the movie Bicentennial Man. That'll tell you how long it was. And he was asked, what would you need to become a man? And he answered, a soul. And take a look at all the various movies. Star Wars. The whole story with Darth Vader concerns turning to the dark side. Dark side versus light side. That is spiritual. That is moral. Think about the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Eden reflecting the type of secure environment we were designed to live in. The Garden of Eden was beautiful to the eyes. The fruit tasted good. Their physical needs were fulfilled and met and satisfied, and yet their spiritual needs were met. They were able to be naked and unashamed, facing each other, totally transparent, totally vulnerable, no sense of guilt, no sense of shame, That is why our inheritance is comprehensive, complete healing and renewal. It is physical and spiritual and relational in every aspect. We are looking forward to, we are hoping for, we are assured our inheritance is complete renovation. Security is concerned with both dimensions. And both dimensions are promised. See, Paul is talking in this passage to Roman Christians who are facing insecurity in both. Their heads were being chopped off in the Colosseum. They were facing lions. They were, doing, they were in an insecure environment. We're in an insecure environment today, but we have the security. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, here's where the rubber meets the road. We need to recognize we can't produce this security on our own. See, and that's our tendency. We want to save ourselves. And we know, we, we know intellectually we can't work our way to heaven. We can't save ourselves. But yet that's how we're, we relate. Functionally, we live like, I better make sure I'm successful. I better make sure my portfolio is intact. I better make sure my financial future is secure. I better make sure. And we're always doing it. We're anxious. We're fearful. Friends, we can't produce security on our own. Look at all the ways we tend towards programs of self-improvement. The self-improvement, if it had an aisle at Amazon, would never go blank. When things get insecure, what do we do? We look for a better program. We look for a better diet. We look for a better 12-step program. We look for something better, something that will help us be better. It's not that these things are bad in themselves, 
but they can't produce the security that we ultimately need. So where can we find the security that we need? How can we be secure? Look with me back at the beginning of the passage, verse 31. And Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? Now, you need to recognize when he says that, what are these things? When he says, what then shall we say to these things? He's referring back to the previous passage and God's sovereign plans, God's sovereign purpose, God's sovereign process. He's saying, what then do we say? How do we respond to this good news? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, you're not going to be surprised by this. I'm totally indebted to Tim Keller in terms of the structure of this and how this is put together. And he makes the point here that Paul's teaching here on how we can be secure is a great argument built tightly on five questions. And what Paul is doing, we're going to look at each one of those five questions. So you thought it was a three-point outline. I just expanded it to eight. That was tricky, wasn't it? Y'all are going, oh, no, we're going to be here till three in the afternoon. We won't. But this is the structure of the argument. What Paul is doing is he's hurling these questions into the air, into space, into the universe, and he's defying anyone, anywhere to give an answer. I dare you is almost what he's saying. And the result, there is no answer. These are unanswerable questions. So take a look with me. The first question is, and of course he says, what shall we say in response to these things? Here's question one. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, of course, recognize Paul is here speaking in cosmic terms. Because, of course, on earth, in this world, people and things can be against you. We do have enemies. We do have weaknesses. It is possible for family or health or your conscience or people you work with or whatever to be against you. But here's the key. The key here is to recognize that you can be secure in God's plan. If God is ultimately, cosmically for you, all these other things, health and other people and circumstances, are temporary. The key here is to be secure in God's sovereign plan. Second question, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So if the first question was security in someone else's plan, in other words, security in Jesus' plan, here in the second question, we are secure in Jesus' death. The text says, he who did not spare his son, and that's a legal term. It recounts a courtroom scene, 
and it says, the reason God will spare you, think about the Passover. God can pass over you in judgment, in punishment, in wrath, because he did not spare his own son. He did not pass over Jesus. He did not refrain from doing something to Jesus. And what he did to Jesus was he judged him for your sin and for my sin. The logic of the question is, how will he who did not spare his son, who was willing to give up his son for you, how will he not also graciously give you everything, and this is key, not necessarily everything you want, but everything you need. You are secure in his death. Third question, verse 33, who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So far we've seen we're secure in someone else's plan, we're secure in someone else's death, now we're secure in someone else's record. And I love this because I thought about this this morning. Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? I know, I do. I bring charges against me all the time. Do you do that to yourself? I can bring charge. Not good enough, not sufficient enough, not adequate enough, not this enough. Do you recognize the affront that is to the gospel? Because... It is God who justifies. Again, this is legal, judicial language. And Paul is throwing out in the air for any to answer, who's going to bring a charge against someone God has justified? See, we need to remember what, is, what does it mean to be justified. And it's more than simply forgiveness. It is forgiveness, and that is incredible, and that is wonderful. But that's only half the picture of justification. The other half is that you have Christ's record of righteousness. Think about that. You are clothed with Jesus' record of love and purity and holiness and devotion and justice and goodness and kindness and patience and truth. That is everything he performed, everything he earned, everything he did, and you get credit for that. And yet we're constantly, I'm constantly bringing charges against myself, saying, oh, sermon was really not good enough. Boy, you blew that point. Oh, you're not good enough at, at this. You're not good enough. We have Jesus's record. How can we be secure? We need to remember these truths. We need to hurl these questions in the air ourselves. And we can't do that by ourselves. We need each other. Because we are secure in Jesus' plan, in Jesus' death, and in Jesus' record, and it keeps going. Verse 34, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Here we are secure in someone else's advocacy. Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for you. Think about this. What does this mean? See, Jesus is our perfect priest. He's our high priest who represents us. But more than represents us, he is our advocate who fights for us. Isn't that amazing? Jesus finds you worth it to fight for. 
We need someone to champion us. We long, get in touch with your heart a little bit. You long for someone to champion you. Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God championing you, advocating for you, interceding for you. Last week, we talked about how the Spirit intercedes for you. You are absolutely wrapped up in the security of the Trinity. Jesus is more than just representing you. He is fighting for you. We need people to fight for us, and Jesus does that. See, an advocate is someone who comes before the judge, interrupts the person who's giving his case. He moves in and makes his right before the one trying to charge you. And so Paul says, in light of Jesus being your advocate, who will condemn you? He dares anyone to give an answer. And finally, based on all these things, secure in someone else's plan, secure in someone else's death, secure in someone else's record, secure in someone else's advocacy, who then will separate us from the love of Christ? Here we are secure in someone else's love. See, this is amazing. See, for example, if we're insecure in our work, what happens? You will overwork. You will constantly be anxious and frenzied. If you're insecure in your relationships, maybe spouse, maybe kids, maybe grandkids, you put pressure on them. You overprotect. What do they call it? Helicopter parents? Do they have that line? Helicopter grandparents as well? You will hover. You're overcompensating. Why? Because you're insecure. We say it's because we love them. Let's be honest. Remember Steve Brown told us, quit pretending. We're insecure. Think about it this way. And again, Dr. Keller is so good at bringing this out. Who is the most secure person in the universe? God. And it was because God was so secure, so free, he was able to give up his son. See, it is only if you're free and secure that you're able to truly give. It is only out of being secure, being full. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to fight for yourself. You don't have to advocate for yourself. Ultimately, yes, we're not doormats and we stand up for ourselves, but we're able because we're secure in the love of Christ. We have ultimate love that we're able to look at others and say, what do they need? How can I offer what I have to give to them? See, if you're not secure, you will always be looking for someone or something else to meet your needs. And it is because of all of this that Paul can conclude with this amazing affirmation of verses 38 and 39. See, it's based on all of these arguments. You know what Paul's been doing from the beginning? He has been preaching the logic of the gospel to his soul. Do you know what we do? We react. We have to, this is why I think even in the whole of scriptures, we're exhorted, be still and know that I'm, be still, take a step back, don't react so much, and preach the logic of the gospel, the logic of someone else's plan, death, record, advocacy, and love to your soul to be able to say, yes, I am in a dangerous world. The culture does oppose me, but you know what? No different than 2,000 years ago. Things aren't getting worse. The world has always opposed the gospel. 
but because of someone else, I'm able to say, have this perspective, for I am sure, talk about ultimate assurance, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. He's daring, come up with something. I dare you. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, oh, may our hearts learn to cultivate this, to marinate in this. May we come before you. And we need to, we're not enough to, we can't just on our own just speak the gospel into our own hearts. We need each other. We need to be the kind of church that's embodying and speaking the gospel because you champion us. We need to champion each other. So I pray that we'd be this kind of community, this kind of body. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as we will, as we come to the Lord's table, we will sing the first three verses of Man of Sorrows, What a Name, and I invite the elders to come down front as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. God loves us so much. We just heard from his word how nothing will separate us from his love. And yet he knows that we're prone to forget. I mean, we may have forgotten some of these truths. We're not preaching these truths to ourselves right this minute. We're prone to forget that quickly. And so not only does he give us his word, but his word explains, his word interprets that he also gives us tangible signs and seals to feed us with himself, to communicate to us the benefits of belonging to him, the benefits of the glorious gospel, the benefits of Jesus' plan, death, record, advocacy, and love. The Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord 
what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, if you are a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a part of his church, you are invited to come and partake of this supper. Paul says that we are to eat and drink in a worthy manner. What he means by that is you need to discern the body of the Lord, and that has a couple of different angles or perspectives to it. You need to know the significance of Christ's death and have personally received that for yourself. That means simply trusting in him. If you've never done that before in your life, I invite you. I would lo- we would love to have you be a part of the family of God. We invite you. Receive the gift of Christ. We would love for you to do that this morning. And then come to the table and partake. Let Christ feed you at his table. But discerning the body also means, because who else is the body of the Lord? It's not just Jesus' physical body that died on a cross, but we are the body of Christ. So examine your relationships with one another. Discern the body. Recognize that this is a family meal. That Christ is feeding us. He's at the head of the table. He's the host of this. And he's feeding his brothers and sisters. So if we are holding a grudge, if we are bitter, if we are resent, doesn't mean everybody's our best friend. Doesn't mean have 125 people over to dinner right away. But examine your heart if you're holding out and haven't forgiven somebody for whom Christ has died that is part of your family. It may be an opportunity, again, the relationship may not be perfectly restored, but maybe an opportunity to repent, turn to the Lord for grace, and seek the restoration of that relationship. And so, friends, we are going to now partake of this supper and recognize that by faith and by the Spirit, Christ is present. He's not, he's spiritually present. He's feeding us with himself. Calvin and the Reformers call this a mystical element to it. There is a mystery involved in this, that Jesus is strengthening weak people, feeding hungry people, giving hope to hurting people. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would set apart these elements for their holy use, that right now you would feed us and nurture us and shepherd us and we would simply receive, we would eat and drink to your glory. So we pray now that that you would use these elements and set them apart for their holy use, sanctify them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
evening.
the same manner, our Savior also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, given for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all. Lord, we praise you for love that we truly don't understand, but we can receive. Enable us to more and more be secure in and receive your love, a love that was made real on the cross, vindicated in the resurrection. Jesus, you're ascended on high, and you have poured out your spirit to make known to us the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of Christ. So may we live, leave this place being full of the good news of Jesus, and offer it to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand and sing the final two verses and have the benediction. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.